Hello there and welcome to Siva Sounds, a new series coming to you from Siva Santé Animal, Siva Animal Health. My name is Nick Wood, I'm a correspondent in radio and television, and let's get straight to the heart of the main subject of this podcast. Beijing has confirmed the number of people who have died from a new type of respiratory virus in China has now passed 40. Française, Français, French citizens, chers compatriotes, fellow compatriots, nous sommes en train de vivre des jours difficiles. The times we're living through are hard times. We are looking to save the maximum number of lives. Ebola, SARS, MERS, avian flu, and other deadly outbreaks are all linked directly towards our treatment of animals. The same is true with the crisis we're in now. Yes, I'm joined by the three authors of an online paper published on togetherbeyondanimalhealth.com entitled COVID-19, Could We Have Seen It Coming? As well as that question, we are going to cover the controversial issue of whether intensive agriculture is a major threat to human health and also the subject of One Health, which I hope you'll agree is very relevant in the current climate. So, without further ado, let's introduce our three guests. Dr Zoltan Penzis, based in Hungary with SIVA, is their Global Director of Bio-Innovation and Research and Development. And Zoltan, you have experience with coronaviruses going back a number of years. Well, actually, for many people, uh, coronaviruses is a quite a new thing because nobody has have heard about them. But actually, there have been quite some people who heard about coronaviruses. So I myself worked with coronaviruses since uh, 1992. In those days, it was a virus family of, of interest for veterinary, for the animal health, in, mainly for poultry and, and, for, and for swine. There were also some, there's also some, some human coronaviruses, but they were so of little uh, importance. There was actually very, very, very few people interested in uh, working with them. And most of the diseases in, in, uh, in, uh, in farm animals of coronaviruses, they are in, in, in birds and in pigs. And there have been a, a great success in, in developing uh, what I call uh, conventional vaccines, uh, mostly live vaccines and killed, killed vaccines to protect uh, the birds very efficiently and safely during the, during the production period. Okay, you raise one of the key points of this discussion, and that's the issue of zoonosis, diseases that can pass from animals to humans, and also the debate over whether the real issue here is wild animals or animals in agriculture. But before we come to that, our second guest today is a highly respected veterinarian, Dr. Olivier Espes, who is SIVA's Director of Public Affairs. And Olivier, I think some people worry that with all the different work that's taking place in the world there won't be the correct sharing of data that is really required when dealing with a virus of this nature because there seem to be a lot of people in different places working on everything from developing tracing and tracking apps to developing a vaccine. Nick, I, I think that we have seen a level of collaboration uh, with this COVID-19 uh, crisis that was totally unprecedented. Uh, the virus was sequenced in a record numbers of days. The sequence was shared very quickly. Yes, there is competition for uh, manufacturing a vaccine. I don't know how many vaccines projects exist already for the COVID-19. I think it's more than 50. Um, so you, you see... Uh, I think more than 100, I think. Yeah, voila, more than 100. So uh, you see 
something quite unprecedented and, and admirable, actually, because we, we will come on top of this problem. Our third guest is another veterinarian, Dr. Marie Ducrotois, who is Senior Programme Manager at SIVA. She graduated at the University of Edinburgh in the UK. I think we're going to hear a bit more about that place later on. She has worked on research into neglected zoonotic diseases and also has led a series of epidemiological investigations. Marie, you've got some interesting views on what is known as One Health, but before we come to that, the correct name for the virus strain that's behind this current pandemic is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or SARS, Coronavirus 2, which has caused what we now know as COVID-19. And there's a lot of scientific interest in the way it's adapted in humans. So tell me more about that particular issue. When you have a shift in the host, obviously the virus is adapting to its new host. And I think What's been um, fascinating scientists over the world is that the SARS-CoV-2 has adapted to the human host in a way that it can infect, cause mild or no clinical signs. So what's really interesting is that in this, that this time when it's emerged in the human population, um, it's, it's actually very well adapted to this new host, what is a new host for, for this virus, because the original reservoir, I think now it's not being 100% demonstrated, but scientists more or less agree that it's it's originated in uh, in bats, and there's a question mark over the um, the role of an intermediate host. Um, so different coronavirus co- viruses can have different intermediate hosts. They're found in reptiles, so snakes, civet cats. Um, so again, there's a big question mark around the um, the transmission st- stage for this specific COVID-19 disease. That debate over bats as the possible cause takes us through to one of our central themes of this discussion. Now, the figures on zoonosis are quite staggering globally. It's thought that one billion cases of illnesses and millions of deaths occur every year due to zoonotic diseases. And there have been claims that intensive agriculture in different areas of the world is largely to blame. Olivia, I'd like to bring you back on this particular issue. So, uh, Nick, what I'd like to do is first um, define uh, zoonosis because there is a lot of use of that word and I'm not sure everybody understands it. So zoonosis are diseases that originate in in animals and come to humans. Sometimes, by the way, they can circulate back to animals. But So there are a bit of sometimes uh, uncertainty in the definition, but... uh, you can live with, you know, diseases that originate in animals. And what we have, we always had zoonoses. Since the history of mankind, we look at ancient Egypt, we look at Rome, we look at the Middle Ages, we always had uh, zoonoses, diseases coming from animals, like plague in the Middle Ages that was coming from, you know, Central Asia and, and uh, mouse and rats from Central Asia. So. Zoonoses have always been here. Now, the situation today has sharpened. That is, um, we, and I like to refer to a study uh, from the University of Edinburgh from Kate Jones. Uh, they've been looking at hundreds of emerging infectious disease since Second World War, 
until today. And what they found is that out of this emerging disease, a good deal actually coming from animals, uh, their figures is about 60%. But what is mostly interesting is that 72% of these zoonoses are coming from wildlife. And they see a pattern. The pattern is that this is increasing. This is increasing all the time. There's been a slight decrease uh, after the turn of the century, but the trend is upwards. So we get more and more diseases from wildlife. And this coronavirus is an example of that, even though we don't quite know for sure that it's coming from bats or from pangolins or whatever, we, we, we have almost certainty that it's coming from wildlife. So that, that's, a, that's a pattern, that's a challenge we have. Marie, I, I can see you want to come in on this one. It's reassuring for people to know that actually things like the COVID-19 and other emerging EIDs are rarely coming from livestock or domestic species. They're not coming from cats and dogs. They're rarely coming from livestock. So it's, it's actually more of the, um, this wildlife issue and the fact that we have the encroachment more and more with what we're observing in southern latitudes of ecosystems that are more, that harbor more wildlife that are being encroached by livestock and also humans. So it's this kind of, um, livestock, domestic animals, and human interface, which is coming to play and basically is more of a driver for EIDs. But just staying on zoonotic diseases in the field of agriculture, if you look at avian influenza, AI, or bird flu, as it's often called, currently people can die from it if they have contact with birds, but they can't pass it on to other human beings. But I've seen some schools or heard some schools of thought that suggest it's only a matter of time before it mutates. And this could be the next pandemic. Zoltan, do you want to answer this? Well, uh, actually, I, I think the, the public is always frightened by, by mutations. It is mutations are, are presented to the public, in my opinion, as something which is a terrible thing, which the viruses do. Well, actually, I think mutations are not a terrible thing, but, but a virus might do someday. A mutation is a, is a natural thing which occurs every day, every hour, every minute in, a, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the nature. When, when all kinds of viruses and, and organisms, bacteria, but viruses, well, they, they replicate and they pass on from one host to another. And the question is, what kind of mutations occur? And in, in this way, I mean, yes, you can, you can, you can put the devil on, on the wall and I mean, everything can, can occur. I mean, and everything can be a disaster. But in, in real life, I mean, this is not... Uh, uh, not, not, not very likely. Olivia, I can see that you want to come in here. Let me let me try to address this question on uh, animal agriculture and and uh, diseases. Um, we know that uh, due to the growth of uh, mankind, uh, we'll need much more food in the coming decades. So we have animal agriculture here, and we know demand will increase. Yes, there are sometimes some diseases that can originate in agriculture, but we have the means to tackle that. Uh, as we did always with avian influenza, you were talking about that. We have the means, and the means are first uh, biosecurity, that is the good management, the good animal husbandry, the safety, the hygiene, uh, the, the good farming that we need to have. 
and also vaccination. These are two tools that can help us control this uh, zoonosis. And actually, that's what we do today. And, and no major zoonosis has emerged from animal agriculture uh, in the last decades. Okay, let's move the discussion on a step. Ever since I've been involved with SIVA, around 10 years now, there's been a, a lot of concentration on One Health. Now, it strikes me that there's never been a more important time to look at this particular subject. So, Marie, this is very much your field. Does One Health really exist, or is it just what we would call a buzzword that's nice to mention at animal health conferences and in presentations? Well, I think to answer that question, the, the starting point is really to try and define what we mean by One Health, because One Health can mean different things to different people. So if we look at the you know, intergovernmental organizations like the OIE or the WHO or even the FAO, in those circles, it means that obviously there's a recognition that there is this interdependence between human and animal health and that the health of humans and animals is obviously intricately linked to their, the ecosystem in which they, they exist. Then the second logical step from that is saying that in order to optimize the health of our ecosystems, of humans and animals, we actually need an integrated approach. So some people call it a holistic approach. Other people often use an intersectoral approach. And basically to say that in another way, in a simpler way, it's that vets should be talking to doctors who should also be talking to ecologists and biologists. And we should all be communicating and sharing data and, and sharing information because that, actually that gives us a much better understanding and a, and a much better ability of putting that data together to make predictions about what may occur in the future. And actually we, we see this and it's something that became very fashionable in the early 2000s and researchers predicted that this, this pandemic would occur. Um, so for me, One Health is it's not just a buzzword, it's a new name for something that's existed for a very long time but that we maybe forgot about. And now um, it's, it's a good thing, in my opinion, that it's being prioritized by, by people in research, by governments, and, and I see it as a very good thing. Let's move towards some conclusions in our fascinating conversation. Looking at where we are now and looking at the efforts all around the world to develop a vaccine that will get us through this situation, what do you think is the key to, yes, dealing with what we have now, but perhaps more important, dealing with what we might face in the future? Uh, first of all, Zoltan. A, a nice slide. I think it's very important what uh, Olivier said that the animal health industry we can contribute to, to solving this this problem. And, and on my side, also as a scientist or as a past five scientist, that I was very interesting to see. That I'm uh, very happy to see that there is over a hundred different uh, vaccine development efforts, which is, which is ongoing those days. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that 95% of these most likely will not work. But uh, I mean. But now, maybe in the beginning, I mean, our industry can give a little bit of, of head start to the, to the, let's say, to the humans to develop human vaccine. But I expect that there will be a lot of, uh, of, uh, of information flowing back to, to us, to the animal industry. But uh, there have been maybe uh, millions of technologies which are now being tested how to develop efficient, uh, efficient vaccine core viruses. And this could give us the animal industry as well as a boost 
so that we can improve our existing vaccines we can we can establish new technology vaccines for the for the chickens and for the, for the pigs and for the, for the ruminants as well i mean uh, based on all this knowledge which is now with the unprecedented speed accumulated on, on the globe Olivier, I would imagine you have some views on the role of animal health companies like SIVA and also the role of veterinarians. One of the things I'll, I'll take away from this whole uh, thing is that we in the veterinary industry uh, have a, a deep knowledge about coronavirus that um, is not automatically very common on the human side. We have a lot to bring from our experience of vaccination of coronaviruses. And SARS is different from the coronaviruses we have to deal with in animals, uh, usually, but we have some experience in vaccines that I think we should be able to, to bring. Second, um, the interface uh, between wildlife, animals, and humans that has been mentioned uh, previously in this, in this interview is, is quite important. And, and we we need to manage that through proper biosecurity. That means managing our farms in a way that animals are not exposed to wildlife. This is very important. We've done that in the past, and um, frankly, uh, there's been no emergence of major zoonoses in the developed world uh, in the last decades. And the third point is, of course, we should uh, use these tools of vaccination and animal agriculture even more than we do, even though that today the risk of zoonoses coming from animal agriculture is very low. Uh, we still have tools to develop and we can apply vaccination even more than we do today. Marie, in the online article that you jointly wrote with our other interviewees, you talked about the concentration on a vaccine, a cure, when perhaps the more important area of work, according to you, is about what you say is untangling the cause of all this and the importance of those lessons for the future. I think because we don't have unlimited resources in funding for research, I think what's really interesting, and this is where our researchers are very clever, is that the, those clever guys are actually able with different predictive models and, and with the data that they have, they can actually identify hotspots for where they think the next um, EIDs will be coming from. The main drivers of this are where we're, we're seeing an, uh, a kind of a shift in the equilibrium. So. Any system where we're having rapid change, so for example, deforestation or the impacts of climate change, etc., the lesson to learn from this is maybe let's do more targeted surveillance to where we know the next hotspots could be. And, 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 and let's target this to what we know the risk factors to be also. So we don't need to be you know, sampling everywhere in the world and every single species of wildlife, I think bats is a really good place to start because, you know, they have a very special um, physiology and they hibernate and they, they go into um, um, hypothermia when they fly, etc. So, and, and they're actually at the origin of, of many emerging viral diseases, such as the Nipah virus and um, other viruses. So I think you know, let's look at bats in specific areas and let's also look at epidemiology in places where you do have this livestock wildlife interface. So in Africa, for example, and, and, and where this happens, it's as much of an issue for the humans as it is for the livestock and also for the wildlife. So actually, if we 
don't look at this. We're actually endangering the life and the health of our wildlife, our livestock, as well as humans. So I guess this would be my, my conclusion. Well, really interesting to talk to you, Doctors Zoltan Penzis, Olivier Espes, and Marie Ducotois from Siva Animal Health, Siva Santé Animal. And uh, also, that paper I mentioned, just to remind you, can be found on togetherbeyondanimalhealth.com. And listen out for future podcasts coming from Siva, talking to many different experts and key opinion leaders. I hope you found this one interesting. I certainly have.